Hey folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our Tee Public shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332 Indianapolis, Indiana 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we're going to be doing a review of Mexico City by Night. Um, and it is, uh, we, last week we did a review of N- New York by night, which is kind of like the, the new crown jewel in the Camarilla crown, right? It's the Camarilla has fought and scraped and, and battered and bled to get that territory back. Well, this is kind of like the very heart of what the Sabata is, right? You got it. And well, here's the thing. I wanted to say this. I actually have, I actually know DC I believe DC is the Camarilla. There's no Camarilla without DC. Right. Because the control... In in the United States, right. But there is not enough to go around if you don't have New York City. Right. Right, because New York City kind of controls the ebb and flow. Basically, the draw to America has always been NYC. Right. So, in that end, I mean, I'm just just saying I agree with you. Right. Because a lot of people, you hear people talk, I read, you know. (laughs) And so, when he mentioned, they're like, well, isn't that NYC? If it was that important, why didn't the camp rule and take... It's not about ruling. Right. It's about having enough blood to go around. And when you get to New York City, you may not be able to live in New York City, but now that you made it to the gateway of America, mm-hmm. now we can see where else you could live. Right. And well and, and, you and, and you know, as we talked about last week, New York City is it's a a hub of financial power for the world, not just the United States, but you it's kind it. of like the gateway into the United States. So it would make sense. When you look at the Camarilla and what they are and how they utilize mortals and institutions, it's a no-brainer that the Camarilla would want that. And if you look at the way that the Sabbat uses mortals and the way that the Sabbat uses just human beings, the kind, more so than Montreal, Mexico City really just is the Sabbat in a lot of ways. From the opening story or opening book uh, synopsis, to the chapter summaries, the whole book tells you one thing. The Sabbat know they're on the brink of destruction. Right. They know. But what you don't know, they've had three civil wars up to this point. Right. They've always been on the brink of destruction. That's what makes that sect so powerful is the fact that they keep surviving. Right. And that's the point. And so when you look at Mexico, it's it's a, it's a dark reflection of it. It's like the people almost molded what the Sabbat would become. Right. When they got there. And so before we get started, I want to give everybody just a couple of heads ups, heads, heads up, head ups, um, heads up. 
<laughs> so so neither of us speak Spanish. We're not we have a rudimentary knowledge of like the culture of Mexico and a very, very basic understanding of the language. And so we're probably going to butcher some things. Apologize in advance. We're doing the best we can with what we know. You got um, you know, we're presented the book as, as you know, a couple of dudes from the Midwest who are fairly intelligent and can read, but we may stumble across some words because they're just not part of our lexicon. Right. It. And when we sit down and play a game with our players or when we're players in those games, we do our best to pronounce them. But at least we're we know we're trying to pronounce the same things like that. That's all I can say. Aside from that, bear with us. We're sorry. It's you know, English is our only language. Um, but before we get started with this it is our only language. I just want to I just want to mention I'm going to read an email from one of our listeners. I just want to mention um, I've always had the opinion that we should approach these podcasts much like Stanley approached Marvel comic books, right? That every episode is someone's first. And so this will become a, a pertinent piece of information in the email that I read. But we know that this isn't the only quote unquote Mexico City book, right? And you'll find this thematically throughout White Wolf's launches. We as podcasters, we're focused solely on Vampire the Masquerade. At this time. Right, right. In, 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 today. You know, as we're going through vamp 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade, Bob and I know there are other city releases, right? Bob and I know we've ran games out of Vancouver. We, you know, we did a review of a mage book, uh, you know, for, for the holiday for our Patreon. Chaos backers. Factor. Right. We did Chaos Factor. Chaos Factor is a, like a mini source book. So it's basically the 93 version of Mexico City by Night. We're not going to talk about that too much. But but we'll say here and right now, so we don't have to rehash mm-hmm. it later and take away from the, the city book, is the fact that, remember, Chaos Factor, mini source book, yes. Mm-hmm. Really, it was telling a story. Right. It was a module for a story. Right. And and just keep that in mind. Uh, and why we state that, if you read that podcast, you know we riffed on it mm-hmm. quite a bit, because the book oh, yeah. was just... We went in on it hard. And we, we went on so hard, we don't need to rehash it. Right. But, um, this book is definitely more amazing right and giving you insight of what mexico city is and what to expect from a vampiric perspective right and and so we don't have to repeat it every time and you know we'll we'll probably still mention it because again this could be your first podcast we know that there are books out there in the white wolf release pile that we may go, huh, it's weird that there is no book that details this. And that's because when we say that, we mean from what we're reviewing today, right? Right. If there's if there's a, a you know, again, I'll fall back to Vancouver. There's no Vampire the Masquerade book for Vancouver. However, that Vancouver book, that Dark Alliances book, is for all intents and purposes a vampire release and a werewolf release, but it was not launched or released as a Vampire the Masquerade book. So what we're doing is we're following the released by company for this genre. Right, for the line. Right. You know, we, we talk about Chaos Factor. Chaos Factor is a mage book. It's got the mage in the title. It's a source book. It's a, you know, it's it, whatever it is for mage. Dark Alliance's Vancouver is a werewolf book. So we go in presuming that you're following along with us as if you've never played this game you don't have that previous experience, right? So, so th- that's that's the logic here, and and why that's why is that important? Well, well, well. Uh, let me read this email here, and 
you'll understand hopefully a little bit more why I mention it. So uh, this is from a listener named Kevin, and he says, I I want to say that listening to your guys' podcast hits the nostalgic note hard for me when I used to play White Wolf games, which is cool. We appreciate that. That's kind of why we're here. Uh, When I lost my sight back at the end of 04, it became hard to continue playing. My friends at the time helped me when it came down to dice rolls, and I've always had a great memory, so in that way I was able to continue. However, due to moves, technology barriers, and a recent falling out from my gaming group, I have found myself unable to play anymore. I started watching your podcast at the beginning of April of this year after I watched a YouTube video from The Gentleman Gamer in which he mentions your podcast and said he thought it was outstanding. Now, I know this. Like, we were kind of insular in the sense that Bob and I, we don't do a lot of outside exploring of like fans. Like we have this podcast because we love it. People communicate with us. We have a discord, but I don't personally watch a lot of other people's videos. And and here's the thing. Honestly, it's because we're, we're devoted right. to what we're doing and we're real busy. And yeah. when you think about it, these other productions often have a team of people. Right. It's just me and Nate. Right. <laughs> so we're like straight. Right. I don't. I don't. I'm, my my phrase I was going to use. I'm working on my vernacular. Right. Uh, we're we're dedicated. We're straight dedicated. So when it comes to these other podcasts, and we get told about it as they're recommended, we'll go. We'll go seek it. Uh, for instance, Dead Gamer Society, very good organization. Right. Uh, with uh, with Chad Parrish on there, fantastic guy, great host. We've been on a show twice now, mm-hmm. and he does he does very good work. Nate went to his uh, LARP and attended to it. So we're not opposed. Yeah. To anybody else's work it's just that we we haven't it hasn't right. caught our attention yeah i mean working on stuff like this it requires a great deal of our personal attention and we just you know we don't necessarily know what's going on in the world of world of darkness right um we we try to keep up on the news and do the reviews but um we don't get to listen to a lot of podcasts or watch a lot of videos as we we would like to so anyways let's get back to the to the uh to the email so he says uh i'd gone through all of his videos uh including all 37 of his guide to vampire clan insert name here and once he recommended this one i felt it was the next logical step which is awesome i was not disappointed and yet again i am finding myself entertained for hours going through your backlogs so um in blood magic secrets of thaumaturgy nate mentioned that with all the stories at the beginning of the revised books that were set in las vegas he was surprised there was not a city source book for las vegas Well, I'm here to tell you there is. The Mage Ascension book, The Fallen Tower, is a source book set in Las Vegas, and I'm pretty sure it entails all the supernatural denizens in the Vegas area. Brief pause. That's what I was talking about. When we say, like, you know, when when we go, man, I'm really surprised that there isn't a thing. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we do know. But the point is, there isn't one for the vampire line. There's a phrase where it says, know your audience. That's something for... Anyone ever doing anything in entertainment or reviews, period. Know your audience. We do know our audience, but you have to know who you're listening to as well. Right. And so if it's 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade, we're talking from that perspective. And Mm -hmm. it is fair. We did, you know, not every single podcast do we state, by the way, this is only from a vampire (laughs) perspective, but you know, it's kind of in the title and that's what we address there. But also if it's your first time listening, if this is your first podcast, we don't make that distinction. We see how it can get confusing. Right, right, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would just say, like, at the moment, you know, we may know, we may not know, but regardless, you know, we'll get to it. Eventually, Vampire will be up and will become 25 years of White Wolf and or 30 years of White Wolf or whatever. And I guarantee you put it on our radar. Right. Are you mentioning Fallen Tower? That's something, obviously, 
Right. When, Somebody's when, going to want us to review. And think of it as a build, right? right. So we got to the vampire perspective. By the time we get to Mage uh, with, the, with the Fallen Tower, we're going to get a great view from all sides by the right. time we get there of the exact picture White Wolf right. is building and, that and they couldn't put in one book. Right. And hopefully we can present you that perspective as well. So anyways, moving on in the email, now for the questions. I need to find a new group to play in. The issue that I have is that with two kids, diminished health, and not being able to see, I find it hard to just put notices on comic stores or on the meetup websites for tabletop gaming because I have serious trust issues. I would hate to endanger my kids and lose insane amounts of money that I poured into the books. In your opinion, is this a losing battle? This one uh, is for you, Nate. <laughs> Why do you pronounce Zemis or Zimsi Shamise? I mean, if there's a linguistical reason, I would love to hear it. But in the core book, they show the pronunciation, if I remember right, as Zimizi. I don't know if there is if this is the way uh, they said to pronounce it in the previous book, or if it is a LARP thing, since the only person I ever heard say it was m mainly played in LARPs. Uh, take care, and thank you for your entertainment, nostalgia, as well as your time and consideration, Kevin. Now, awesome, awesome questions, and we have answers to all of them. So the first one... Um, talking about like finding a gaming group, uh, this is definitely a challenge, right? And it's a challenge for a lot of people in a lot of places, especially, you know, uh, places where there aren't a lot of people. Um, I feel like we've been pretty blessed because we established a gaming group and we've essentially maintained it. Now, if you found yourself in a situation, Bob, where like you were, you moved to a new city and you were kind of alone, didn't have any friends, like what, what would you do to try to find a gaming community? I would first look up uh, local gaming stores closest to me. Always make it closest better. Uh, cause it's not like you're getting paid to go play the game. Right. So you gotta make sure it's, you know, economical for you and I'll, right. I'll skip that minutia, but you get the idea. And when you go to that gaming store, I would hook up with the owner, see what, what sort of gaming groups they have. And, you know, make sure that owner knows your situation, right. whatever the case may be. You know, your time slot, availability, special needs you may require to play the game the whole night. Um, I know that often, I know I know out in Seattle, uh, there was a gaming store I didn't get a chance to go to, but looked online, they have games that people just advertised. Right. And we have a game in typically, and typically those games are going to be in-house, right? right. And, and so... Yeah, it can be very difficult um, in in your situation specifically, Kevin. It could be very difficult to post stuff up at a gaming store, but it may be your first route to at least getting in touch with other gamers. It gets your foot in the door. Like I've seen at our at our local gaming store, they have little pieces of paper you can tear off and contact that DM, GM, or what storyteller depending on the game system. Uh, contact them by email, right? Or give them a text or whatever you want to do, and then they'll tell you a meet up, and then you go and meet up, and you see what happens, right? That would be my, for for in-game, in-house, same place. What I want to say. I almost wanted to say real life because it's the easier character out <laughs> of character. But uh, to be personally with a gaming troupe, that's what I would do. I also think for you, in-person is best. Not only for your situation, but in particular because of the admitted trust issues. Now, I, I myself have trust issues. I, I'm just going to share that because I feel that your, your email uh, was very, uh, very uh, courageous. It just stated how it is. Uh, I myself have that same thing uh, because when you play live action long enough, you realize a lot of people are, they, they fall into a live action mentality and I will leave it at that. But the fact is you have to just take care of you and make sure right. you're trustworthy, make sure you're a good guy. And that will give you all the shielding you need to sit down because people naturally who are not trustworthy do not like trustworthy people because it doesn't work for them. 
So when you sit there and set the example, though, you could be helping people out just by you being you. Right. And so when you go to these groups, don't go there worried about trust, not trust. Go there knowing one thing. I'm here to have fun. I'm here to have a good time. And that's what you need to focus on. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, you know, being able to meet gamers in a person on person setting in, in kind of a neutral scenario, you know, that, that would probably be your best route. Um, doing stuff on the internet, if you can find like a group that games in like a discord that does it like in voice role play, I think that that would be really, um, that, that could potentially be worth your time. The other thing too is I don't know where you live geographically, but there are gaming conventions, right? And for some people that don't have the ability to find someone throughout the year, they basically store it up, right? And then they go to a convention, you know, they throw down their money and they play in a bunch of games throughout the weekend. We got like, so we got Gen Con here, right? I've heard of Dragon Con, which I believe is the international. Right. There's, there's tons, there's tons. I went to Gary Con. I mean, like, there's so many like local regional gaming conventions we we go to midwinter uh, every once in a while we we went one time we might go again in the blast. future right and that so like look for for that too that may be a solution albeit not a great one because you're not getting a lot of gaming in throughout the year but it may be like one of those things where you just you go once or twice a year to a con and you just blow it out you just have as much fun as possible in that time and kevin if i could state guilt a buddy <laughs> guilt a close friend you can trust do whatever you can to tell him hey man let's make this a thing and if they give you any story about they don't like to geek out whatever blah 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 tell them everybody likes to be someone else now and again right give it a shot have some fun and eventually it'll happen i can't tell you how many of my friends started off with like i'm too cool for school and now are just straight up dedicated right and what did i do kevin i guilted the shit out of him that's what i did <laughs> well uh, and, and i'll tell you like this like you your question was and it was posed in kind of an interesting way is this a losing battle to me there's no such thing as a losing battle i agree right? I, I personally believe that if you want to do something you should keep at it right doesn't matter what stands in front of you use your obstacles to move you forward and and that's that's my belief like yeah it's gonna suck and you probably go months at a time without having a gaming group but you're coping with it now it's a hobby that you're interested in and you're listening to podcasts you're gaining knowledge you're out there you you know that there are people you just have to find the right person and you know this is going to sound corny but it's the same thing like in your personal life right yeah, there's somebody out there for everybody. That's kind of ridiculous, but it's true. I mean, there's billions of people. You're going to find people that that are are fun and interesting to game with and make new friends and have a group. There's two choices before you, Kevin, when it comes to that. I agree with everything Nate said, but I'm going to add this to you. It's either you choose to stick with current behavior, which is not finding the group, right? Whatever it is, you know, whatever you're feeling that, you know, they're just not out there and that frustration builds, or it's flip that frustration into energy. Flip it in one of those things like, you know, I haven't found a maybe change the method of looking, you know, and whatever that may be, whether that's just, I mean, you're reaching out to us, asking questions, you know, we're trying to give you uh, that support you need, but also more than anything, I'm trying to put this bug in here that says this, if you have the library like you do, if you enjoy the game, like I honestly believe you truly are passionate about it, you're going to find that group. You're not going to let that stop you. And that's, that's really the two choices is do or do not. There right. is no try. 
as Yoda has said. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what you got to do. All right. So on to your second question, the one that was kind of geared towards me. Let me tell you a brief story, and then we'll get into Mexico City by night and do the book review proper. So you asked, is this a LARP thing? Do LARPers say, Shama say? Well, um, when I first started playing this game, the Sabbat had not been sort of like they were new. And the place where you would go to find out about them was this awesome looking book called The Player's Guide to the Sabbat. And this book, I believe, came out in 93, maybe 94. And that was that was my first interaction with the Sabbat. Right. So as cool as I thought vampires were vampires of the Camarilla, I was like, man, this game is awesome. When I heard about the Sabbat and I was like, oh, wow, look at this. And it's got old English lettering and it's a little evil. And listen to my voice and listen to the stories I've told. You can see why this would appeal to me. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm the devil tattoo metal guy. Right. Like, yeah, I like the Sabbat. That's a, and 16 years old, rebellious Nate was like, cool, let me get that. So in the book. On page 16, they give you, they, they talk about the Shamase, and basically what we have here is we have a lexicon, a Sabbat lexicon, and what they did is they did something that they don't, they really didn't do in a lot of other books, is they give you pronunciations for almost everything that's in here, right? Because a lot of these terms, they're not something that would come up in normal conversation. They're not in our lexicon on a daily basis. So I'm reading through there, and... We come to Zemis, right? And there's three different pronunciations for this clan. The first one is Zemisi, and that's Z-J-I-M, E-E-S-E-E. The second one is Shamisi, S-H-A-M-E-E-S-E-E, or Shamise, right? And, and so clearly one of those three is correct, and everybody at the LARP said Shamise, right? And over time, it becomes shamase, shamase, shamase. And it's just like lazy tongue, right? So it sounds weird, but if you haven't read this book, that's why it sounds weird. Well, clearly, most of the people that played in the LARP also read this book. And so that was just the collective way people said it. And so over the years, that's just the way I've always said it. And it's been interchangeable. I've, I've heard all three pronunciations multiple times. In I've the never, same podcast. I've never really heard right, <laughs> I've never really heard it said one way right. and only kept that way. And and I think that was done on purpose. Right. I sincerely feel that that was a brilliant move on their part to make that clan even more unique, that they're ever changing. Right. And the pronunciation is the same way. So much so that years later, V5, one of their videos was, uh, I forget her mm. name, one of the employees of White Wolf, went to pronounce the same word. And, and said, this is how I pronounce it. And people were taking it, that's the way to it. But she addresses in the video, however you pronounce right. it, this is how it looks. And, and honestly, we've, we've uh, you know, it was a thing that, that every player of this game has, has always, well, I thought that this is the right way, or how is this pronounced, or what's the right way, Nate and Bob? And the truth is, there isn't a right way to pronounce it. Whatever your tongue wants to turn it into is what it should be. And I think this is why that they don't do it anymore is because they wanted to save money. <laughs> it's expensive to type up three def you know how the how to say right with everything else and god help us kevin i wish they did for the new mexico the Me mexico city by night book there are words we are about to butcher and to mexico city we apologize right I'm just saying uh well and they even do it like if you look at this book it's on page 16 of the of the the player's guide to the sabbat even sabbat there's three different pronunciations for uh because like how many times have you heard sabbat right you know, like, and that's not wrong. Only from Chicagoans. <laughs> the Sabbath. 
Right. You but, do it the Sabbath. But the thing is, like, it's these terms, these are not like necessarily terms that you're 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 gonna have a right and a wrong way to pronounce. Maybe there is a linguistically correct way to pronounce it, but we're American, right? Neither and, Nate and, or I are linguistic awesome. No, no. So, anyways, moving right along. Um, hopefully that answered your questions. Hopefully that wasn't too rambly and far off the point. Thank you for your letter. And if you guys uh, want to send us questions, comments, criticisms, we are reachable at utilitymuffinlabs at gmail.com or on our website or various a variety of other locations, Twitter, Facebook. Um, that, there's a commercial at the beginning of the podcast. Just whatever that says, that's what you should do. <laughs> whatever. <it. laughs> All righty. So Mexico City by night. So before we dive into uh, everything that is in Game of Mexico City, I want to. Ju- I just enjoy this book for all the reference materials it tells you to go through. Like any book that deals with culture difference, right, from where it originates. If you don't land the culture piece, if you if you don't have a semblance of what you're doing as a storyteller, even a player knowing what you're playing in, you kind of you kind of you kind of feel like an ass because. Um, if you just get the book to open up and say it's Mexico City, I'm going to go through and play some vampire and whatever, and you don't get into the culture of it, how are you in a different building? How are you in a different place? You don't get it, and you don't understand it. And so they give you tons of reference material through here. And uh, some of my favorite that I like, I like that it points out, one, is, uh, is the narco corridos. I can have, tar- have a hard time pronouncing that term mm-hmm. even. But what it is, it's like, uh, it's like polka music with the lyrics of what actually is going on uh, with a lot of the cartel violence right. that is in the area. And there's some bands. It's it's a thing. It's a cultural band thing. You could even listen to now. Yeah. Uh, YouTube some if you like to, to get an idea. And they sensationalize it. It's it's like a version. It's not even a version. If mm-hmm. you think about it, it's the same thing we did with hip-hop, rap music. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the violence in your city that they put to a beat and a rhythm to tell people their story to right. get it out that became popular with the music. So, um, an example of this for, um, like a more relevant pop culture reference, uh, most people listening to this are probably super familiar with breaking bad and breaking bad. When Walter white becomes popular, they're writing songs about Heisenberg, right? And they play some of these songs at the beginning and they tell the story of like Heisenberg. That's what we're talking about. Like that's, so it's, it's actually become a little bit more culturally, culturally relevant since this book has come out. And there's a lot that uh, Breaking Bad has done a lot in particular. And I can't even think of a that that's a great reference to look at some of what cartel sensationalized by Hollywood mm-hmm. anyway, cartel right. life is like. And there, there are a ton of movie references, right? Uh, one of them I would say is Sicario. Oh, God. Such it's a good, a, such a good a movie. Fantastic film if you want to know about the troubles on the borders that, you know, we're still doing war on drugs, right? So that's going on. But that also kind of highlights that. There's a lot more going on mm-hmm. to the war on drugs than just drugs are bad. It's a money game, right. right? That's what they're pointing at. And when you think about it, Mexico's very origin, right? It's very history that, that we're about to kind of go through. Even from a world of darkness sense, it's dark for a reason. It's no nothing but revolution. It's no nothing but fighting over the resources that are there. And, you know, on this tiny island trying to make it happen, that's, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it hasn't stopped. And in here it says, you know, if you don't know, if you just think of Mexico as the place where the Aztecs did all this stuff and have just butchered people and that's that, you're, you're missing the point, right? There's a reason they had to do what they had to do. And, you know, it's a people that fought to keep what was theirs no matter what culture was there at the time. And it's an evolving thing. And eventually, like everything, someone comes out on top, but for how long? That's the question. 
So when you have a nation or an empire, their staying power represents what that culture is going to be. But when you have a culture that changes, you know, even so much as like every two centuries, there's a revolt or every 52 years, the Aztecs thought their world was coming to an end Mm -hmm. because it was a different regime that would take over. That's profound. And so what you're going to find is that even up into the modern nights of Mexico itself, you have such diverse neighborhoods right from it because when poverty is a consistency and that's unfortunate uh, for any area where there's just not enough resources or what have you, you're going to have poverty of some type. However, they have violence mixed with poverty because anyone impoverished is going to have that. But when you have territory where you have now uh, these commissioned violent organizations that are making money hand over fist, like if I were to tell you, you can live in a desolate area, right? I'm not saying Mexico is desolate. I'm using this as an example only. I'm saying if you live in an area where, you know, water's hard to come by and good luck finding meat, that's like a rare thing. And you can only grow a certain type of beets. And I do mean beets is in the plant. If you've ever had to eat that, they're not very appealing, but you could. Right. And that's what you're living on. And I said, hey, man, you can stay living with your cotton tweed clothing or I can give you a job working in my fields. Well, what's in your fields? I'm growing drugs. Oh, that's bad. Is it? Right. <laughs> I know this much. Right. Steak every night. How about a salad? Running water. Your own trailer to live in. And your wife is happier. Your kids live better. And we can get them into school. How does that sound? And this is what you have. You're starting to realize what has happened. The popularity of you know the, the drug game that is out in these areas. Right. How do you say no to that? Right. And well, the other thing, too, that's really important to remember. <clears throat> for us, people that live in America... Uh, live in, in the United States, we don't really have a frame of reference for a city the size of Mexico City. At we all. just don't. There is nothing remotely similar to it in the contiguous 48 states. It just doesn't exist, right? And Mexico City, we're talking, you know, some estimates, 20 million people in, a, in one city. <clears throat> and we're talking about like cardboard corrugated cardboard towns we're talking about like things that we as americans are way super privileged and don't have to experience we just don't know right we, we have no conceptual idea of it so i would say in a city like this that's outside of the united states and and this goes for any city that doesn't reside in the united states if they if they do like a you know a book that takes place in brazil you need to do some investigating, right? You need to understand because it's not just New York City. The level of poverty that exists in these places is not just like the shanty towns of, uh, you know, Detroit, the the surrounding Detroit area. It's way different, right? You have a neighborhood or two in Detroit that's bad. We we have them in the city of Chicago. You know, pretty much every U.S. Right. city has it's it. It's just not the same. And we have a homeless population. There you go. Okay, great. Um, we don't have the vast numbers, mm-hmm. right, of where you're creating people desperate to do what they have to to survive because that's human beings. Right. And I want to add something else about Mexico as well. Their culture, their people are so proud of what they do have and what they accomplish and they should be. It's, it's very hard living when they start out for a lot of them. And whatever you accomplish, it should be great. And that's right. anybody across right. the board. It should be a proud, proud moment for you. But for them, even their history is such. Right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the book in, in a review context. When we talk about the history, we get a history of, of Mexico City, right? Yep. But how is that history told? It's not told 
in the same way. Now, I, I think that there is a parallel between this book and the New York book, but for a different reason. Do you know what I'm talking about with that parallel? Vaguely. So in the history of New York, it's told by like the Archons, by the, exactly, the Prince. Yeah. And so this history is told by different members of the Sabbat or different pack members, priests or ductus or what have you. But they're immortals. Right. So when they're telling you about this, these are people who lived through the areas for, for a lot of what they're saying. So they know the eras they're talking about because they were from there. And then they move on up to tell you this is exactly what was going on right. at the time. What's unique about Mexico City from the Whitewood perspective, they since it's a hub of the Sabbat, no one's ever been there but the Sabbat. Right. I mean, f- by how they, by well, how they yeah. know of it, so, so that's, that's how it is. They, they do talk about there's a small little blip in the radar where the Camarilla came and took over, but they didn't last very long, and very few are willing to admit it. <laughs> and and they're, they're very few willing to admit it because you got to remember, when you talk about the Camarilla and they're coming to the new world, let's just look at what they did to Montreal. We already did that book. Mm-hmm. When they went to Montreal, the Torter went there and turned it into a party town. Right. They weren't going there to make it a prince thing and, and a hierarchy right. thing. It's, they were there to enjoy the blood. What what we what we can determine here when we talk about the history of Mexico City is that the Camarilla, inherent to how they operate, are very skilled at coming in and scooping up the influence and ousting the Sabbat. This is exactly what they did in New York. The difference between New York and Mexico City is that the Sabbat are so utterly entrenched that once the Camarilla was there, they were like, what do we even do? And let's tell you why it really they didn't get a hold. They came over here, these pasty white gods, mm-hmm. and they came over and said, we're going to take it over. And the citizens were like, we already met you. And right. there's no city of gold, asshole. Right. And they took care of them. Right. Like, let's, we want to say it was just the Sabad vampires, but it was more than that. Right. It was an out and out, you don't get a hold and get the hell out of here. And it was because if you look at their history, their dark, their gods were dark. Can I? Can we address real quick while we're talking about this history? Can we address the difference between um, Chaos Factor and this, and how this Absolutely. tale is told? So my impression was Chaos Factor told this grand s- story of these vampires that came. To rehearse, Chaos Factor is the Mage Book released right, right. that told a story in Mexico City. Right, and it tells the history of Mexico City, and that book I think was released in like ninety three or ninety four. Um, and it tells a tale of these vampires that came here and and sort of maneuvered and dominated. What does it say in Mexico City? Because <laughs> it, 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 I read it and it, it basically gives you the impression that... It sums it up. Right. It sums it up. It says, yes, there were these weird kind of God people that were here. Mm-hmm. But they didn't see him as gods. Like there, was, right. like there was one that they did. Right. And the one that they did was a white, was a white God with a beard. And I believe they thought he was Hootsapakli. Uh, mm-hmm. Or no, I'm sorry, he was Quetzalcoatl. And Quetzalcoatl was only concerned about gold. Which becomes the reason why when Cortez gets there, he's not killed immediately. Because he's this white guy with a beard who was good at metallurgy. Mm-hmm. And he was interested in gold. And they right. were like, oh, you must be... How's it going, Quetzalcoatl? Mm-hmm. And he was all like, yes, that's me. We are doing well. <laughs> right, right. What is going on right. right now? Like, he had no idea. Right. And it's because you had you had a lot going on. And these gods showed up, and they, God, when you read when you read this book, you get it. And I, right. it was written brilliantly, out of the weeds. Like I go to the lake, and let's say I'm I'm a native, right? And I'm from I'm one of the many um, one of the many Indians of the area, one of the many tribes battling for these resources. We all go to the lake at certain times. All the warriors are looking out for the rival warriors coming to get them while they're getting water. And when you get there, walking out of the lake comes this entity, mm-hmm. and it demands sacrifice right now from you. 
or its continued bounty will be denied. Right. <clears throat> and they're like, yeah, here's an arrow. And he kills that guy and he goes, your sacrifice is accepted. Right. What do you think you do? Well, and, and the thing that I kind of took away from this is that there's a certain degree of hubris in the vampire nature. And, and it's as if vampires are unaware that other things besides them exist. Right. This is a vampire book told from the perspective of canines of the Sabbat. And they're like, I don't know. There's like some vampire elder or whatever. And he just wanted sacrifices. And so people just gave him sacrifices. And I don't know. He's probably like a La Sombra or some shit or, a tw- you know, it's 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 very <laughs> much. It's a very cavalier sort of like, we don't know, like whatever it was. We just sacrificed shit to him and they made it rain. So in Tenochtitlan, right, just to give an idea of, uh, and that's what later becomes Mexico City itself, that's at the Aztecs' height of power. Mm-hmm. They had more people than Rome did in its heyday. Right. Over 100,000 people in that one city were chilling, making it happen. And, that, and that's not including the surrounding tribes they conquered and brought in to heal. Right. The Aztecs didn't start there, though. Like, we got to paint a picture. I don't know if you know this, and looking back and even looking up some of the stuff, like this week when I was looking at all the warring different tribes that were in this area fighting over the resources that were there for this area and why that is. Profound, mm-hmm. right? They used to have lush jungle and there used to be fertile farmland and people, you know, jungle is fertile, duh. Uh, but what they, one tribe decided they're going to start slashing burning trees, right? Right. To create farmland right. so they could feed their people because the people before them that dominated hunted all the would-be farm <laughs> or the would-be creatures to near extinction right i read that it's like there's no animals we killed off all the animals <laughs> we have nothing to eat I mean, you want to talk about some fucking lack of of foresight there right. like we talk about how like you know modern farming practices which are bad like you know we, we didn't hunt <laughs> everything to extinction to the point where we had to eat well mosquito eggs <laughs> right that's one right thing that- that's what we started with that this is what they talk about. That uh, who is it? And this was the. I'll just go off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was the Aztecs who did it, because uh, they, they were forced to live in. Because the Aztecs start, they're a smaller tribe, mm-hmm. and they're basically abused by everybody, right? That's what it comes. You're smaller, trying to move up. Nobody wants you to move up. You have to earn that. Right. The only way to earn that is to fall off. Well, they believe in a cycle of destruction because every 52 years something bad would happen. Right. How the Aztecs came up is basically the winning tribe at the time. They grew too big. They did not have enough to support them. Their warriors were too far spread. They didn't know how to farm. And so they were, they, they were forced to start whacking trees, making vast area so they can try to farm. Well, too little, too late. Right. Well, what were the Aztecs doing to survive? There was so little to eat going on. They started combing the tops of the lakes for mosquito eggs to ground it out into a protein paste they could use in supplements. For right. Meal. Which d- makes me want to puke. But also... That's just the beginning, right. right? Because then we get into like the, the what's it called? The flower wars? Well, we're j- jumping ahead rightly so, but I want to keep in mind the Aztecs for this reason. I'll be quick so we can get mm-hmm. there. So the Aztecs are abused by this other group. Uh, the, I can't even pronounce the term. It's, it's Calcoacan. I think, <laughs> I think it's the Calcoacan. And they're another tribe that uses them for mercenary work. Mm-hmm. But they conquer the Aztecs, right? Right. Well, usually for mercy, we're, we're going to force you to live on this volcanic land that you can't grow anything, and nothing but poisonous snakes are out there. But the Aztecs survive it. And then they end up going around, and they're like, going, okay, we do mercenary work for you against these other tribes. Um, how about we marry daughter to husband? You know, <laughs> we take your daughter, says the Aztecs. Right. We'll marry it to our tribal leader. Right. And then we unite it in one tribe, and then there's no longer an Aztec thing. 
Well, the Kaokans were like, yeah, absolutely. Well, when they go to the ceremony, well, they see the daughter all right. She was sacrificed to a god, and the priest is wearing her skin. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like hardcore on a level you can't even begin to imagine. But the Aztecs use that as, guess what? We're not joining. And just get to going to war. To seeing, you know, just how badass do you think you are? You were using us as mercenary work because mm-hmm. we know how to war, yet you didn't learn it. Right. And so when they, when they mount up, you know how that goes. Right. Right? So now we get to the flower wars because now the Aztecs are in charge, but guess what they didn't learn? What the Kalawakan did. That was how to manage, how to govern right, right. all these vast areas of land. So when the Aztecs did the Kalawakan like that and were warring with them, they retreated to a land they were promised by their god would be safe. And the Aztec god at that time is Hootsipakli, uh, the hummingbird god, or the, the bird on the left, or I believe what it is. We'll just stick with the hummingbird god. And uh, they promised that this land would be good. And so that's where they went. They retreated right. to this island. That land is Mexico proper. And so they make Teotihuacan. That's the main city. But then there's uh, Tenochtitlan. And I might have those two backwards. New pronunciation. It, it, Basically, look, the bottom line is we, we, we have a rudimentary knowledge. of. Right. We're not going to read you the book. But, we, but the thing is, well, what I'm trying to do is establish that, the difference between the two. Yeah. One was a heart city. It was a trade city. That right. was the hub that it had to be. That was the main Mexico city. This is a commercial city. Right. However, the other ones were like city-states they were trying to make. And why this didn't go well is because when you're a war tribe, what do right. you think happens? Well, when- and, and, and I'm reading about all of these, like, the, these tribes that are essentially tapped by proxy, and, like, we have to go to war even though we know we're going to war. It was, like, right. this weird, like, like we have to war to appease the gods or, or I, I don't know what, but, like... They were warring over land stuff. Right. Like, but, even at that but, point... But, but you, you send a bunch of people, and we'll send a bunch of people, and they'll just all get killed. It's no big deal. You're talking about the Far Wars problem. Right, right. Well, I'm talking about, like, what led up to it. Right, well, the, well, the lead-up was lack of sources, mm-hmm. right? We didn't right. have enough, and we don't have enough land, and there's not enough food. Right. And so we're doing whatever it is, like mosquito eating, uh, to figure it out. And then the as they're warring, they realize that we're taking from these surrounding cities that we've conquered. We're just we're telling them to send us people to eat. Right. Right, we're just, we're just butchering and sacrificing people <sighs> well, up that's to the, one. That's the interesting thing about people, is that they're made out of meat, too. Right. <laughs> and so, right, but yeah, that's what they said. You know, right. It was an accepted practice, and right. so, at least in the book. So it's five. So it's five thousand people they lose in like one historic thing, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, um, we can't keep eating our people because we're right. just fostering rebellion." Right. And so they're like, "Okay, well, here's what we'll do: we'll have them fight in these wars that pretty much have a predetermined outcome, and that's the flower wars we're talking about, right? Where all the royalty would wear these flowery masks and sit up top." And it's like they went to go watch. Imagine going to a football game where all the coaches and fans are, are wearing these and they're royalty and they're wearing all these masks so they can hide who they are. Right. Meanwhile, the Warriors are down there fighting and dying. And the victors get the privilege of offering up the dead as sacrifice who gets skirted off to the kitchens. Right. But the thing is, the, the, the coaches, the owners, the people doing the eating those are their own players and they right. get to hide behind this veil of secrecy so that their own people don't know that they're also living high on the hog for lack of a better term. Exactly. These, these people are consuming their own people reaping the benefit of sending those people to their death. Now so, I want you to think about that in the future to the now, how is that any different short of cannibalism? Right. Like take the cannibalism out of it. They're the rich are living on the back of the poor. 
very much so forcing them to do whatever it is to take to live. We don't care. Right. As long as we get our million dollar homes and whatever else we got going on. And they highlight Satellite City as being that hub of commercialism that gets to have all those finer things and whatnot. Right. And why I love it is because the history parallels like that in this book. They show it to you because you can see. Because when you want to say it's the vampires that caused all this to happen, you're wrong. Right. And and they, they make that pretty well known in this book. They establish that context that the vampires that live in Mexico City really have zero to do. They're essentially like carrion crows. They're just feeding off of what human beings are doing. Like there's there's one, there's, there's like a set of gods who come in and assume names. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing about this. It may have started where they had a god they worship. But then in comes a vampire to represent that God that they hear is called. So like he snuck up in the bushes and watched for a few decades and learned that they like this dude, uh, the hummingbird God. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. It's the hummingbird God. He does these things. He promises this and turn for sacrifice. Well, he's like, cool. I'll go to the Aztecs. It's exactly what I'll do. I'll demand that at night. I'll get my sacrifice and I'll skirt away. It's the easiest feeding ever. Well, what happens is for this purpose, we'll say who's who's a pocket runs in a cat's total. And they're like, well. We both got a good thing here, just in different parts of the territory. What do you want to do? Ah, well, this tribe's thinking they're warring with this tribe. This is doing with that. I could really try to... Ah, I'm just looking for the blood. What about you? Uh, yeah, me too. So they do nothing. They don't try to kill each other. They're existing in the same area. But I want you to follow this logic. In Tenochtitlan, who's like difficult word for me. No problem. In, uh, in Mexico City proper, now we'll just use that term, uh, where the Aztecs are reigning at this point, they have all this sacrifice and blood going on. These other gods show up here as sort of a messed up Elysium. Right? I want you to think of that. It's a place where elders gather. And what they do is they sit at the bottom of these temples and they just let the viscera and blood fall. Mm-hmm. There is so much sacrifice going on, so much blood falling. All you got to do is sit down there and open your mouth. Collect it in vessels. And that's what the vampires are doing. The vampires are living in a very, basically their beast was damn near reigning who they were and what they were about. Because that's all they had to consider. They're vampires. There was more blood than anyone knew what, right. enough to make it rain blood. Let's put it that way. Not for real, but down in those buildings. It's very much similar to like the stories we hear about, like in, you know, the first city, the second city, like, right. like where, where you have these like vampire gods that, you know, people are sort of like, quote unquote, worshiping them. Like it very much has a parallel to that. Like these just, these like out of control. And you know, the thing is they're not even really doing anything. They're just kind of like representing who, you know, the, these gods are and sort of using their, their coldonic or, or magic powers. Carrying crows. Right. It now does. this book does point out something mm-hmm. that I think is amazing. You had mentioned before the hubris of vampires. Yeah. Right. What I loved about it was that this book even gives a head nod to the fact that there's a working theory, which, by the way, isn't a theory. Werewolves have an impergium to keep up. Mm-hmm. That's when the populace gets too large. They got to come and call it so that nature has a, has a... We don't kill the ecosystem. Well, man's predator was werewolves. That's how it was written. And so every 52 years or cyclical, they're worried about an end to their civilization, whether it was through earthquakes or a volcano, a super flood. This was wiping out whole villages in this area the whole time. Truth of the matter is, uh, that, that's truth. <laughs> that that is what was going on right because you have like the bastet who were taking care of their people but you can't take care of your people if there's just too many people eating the same resources right and well and, and this is mentioned in the book sort of as a blurb of like come on that's not real 
Right. You know, vampire and, perspective. And, right. And and to me, it's that it's that vampire hubris. It's it's the perspective of the canines that dwell in this area that are like whatever. And it shows you how very little control those that dwell in and around Mexico City have had. Right. Because it highlights when it was all deep wilderness and there was balance. It's because these different super supernal creatures had a homeostasis. They were cool. We were cool in the gang as long as the populace was, was golden. But once humans started encountering other humans, not even they could stop them from what they were going about to do. Right. And so, so they relied on nature. And then eventually man learned to survive nature. And that's, that's that. That's the right. story of kind of how this is built. Well, let's advance a bit. Aztecs are doing all that bloody stuff. It can't last forever. It doesn't. You know, other men come from across the water. Advances right. made. And boom. We start seeing greed on an astronomical level. Like, I'm time jumping here, but they've known nothing but revolution. Right. Well, the Spanish come, and they they start to essentially destroy the civilization. Right. But to be fair, the civilization was very much a civilization of turmoil to begin with. And from there, it's just revolution after revolution after... And, and a, a, a very important factor here is race and how race is used to justify every atrocity everything it's used to justify every injustice and that is what essentially formulates this region it's spanish people coming in people born here of spanish descent being of a lower class than people that can you know and so you you just have you have all of this turmoil this hatred and a constant state of of revolution and renewal and then for whatever reason it just seems to be a place where a lot of natural disasters occur. Right. Floods, yeah, don't know why. fires, there's a volcano, there's earthquakes. And so this is a place of constant change, constant growth, and constant turmoil. So there's no, con- there's no doubt as to why the sabaki to hold. Right. A sect that believes might makes right. A sect that believes that your soldiers must be strong enough to handle the herd. They're not even seen right. as coming in by the mortals because there's so much going on. And people are always drawing lines in the sand. There's always a guy coming in with a sing song and a dance and I have a better way that gets the majority to follow him until he gets so infused, engorged with money and power that he starts tyrannically dictating. And then the people are like, you didn't know your history. Right. Work and and then so on and so forth, and the cycles repeat. And and I think it's important to note that you know this is this book tells a tale of the world of darkness, and so you know this is a parallel to reality, but it's not necessarily reality. We know that reality is much more nuanced than this. Exactly. But remember, we're also playing a game. You know, take that for what it is. Do your investigation. Do your experience. But in the book, they tell you like, hey, if you come from here, you're probably going to go. Ah, this is totally wrong. Ah, this is a glaring difference. It's just like us with Chicago. You know, there's things where we go, that's not really a thing. And and historically, I, I want to point out, I'm going to mock all you self-historians and, you know, if you're reading a vampire book looking for historically accurate information, <laughs> right. that is a problem unto itself. You're going to have a bad time. So we're, we're just saying, just, right. uh, you know, you know, just remember it's a game. It's meant to parallel our world, but it's not to, it's not meant to be our world. Right. You know, it's not, it's not meant to take an insensitive look. It's meant to take a, a realistic setting, a real setting and fictionalize it for fun and entertainment. And that's what you have here. And so why does Sabah pick Mexico City is because this turmoil and that turmoil, they've had like three civil wars Yeah, up to where they, well, the second civil war, they're already over here uh, in Mexico City, but they have their most powerful 
come here to sit up as a consistory to decide how they're going to run the Sabbat from here. Because it's the one place not even the Camarilla can make a hold of. They just couldn't do it. So they get there, make it a force of their own. That's why it becomes a, a stronghold city. In being a stronghold city, they have problems as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole moniker, you know, do not, uh, don't shit where you eat. Me and Native <laughs> said it on several podcasts, right? That's why the cam doesn't do it. The Sabat shouldn't do it and often doesn't do it. Mexico City is so violent by mortal standards that a lot of what a Sabat member does doesn't get noticed. Yeah. Do you know, um, the one the one thing that they tell us at the beginning, and I find this f- quite entertaining, um, this is kind of that city where do you want to have the crazy chainsaw wielding maniac who runs around and does all the, the, you know, do you, you're, you're like prepubescent wet dreams of what the Sabbat is. You can do it here. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. It, hey, do you, do you have like this crazy plot idea for like, you know, trying to raise a dead blood God and da, 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 da. Yeah. You can do it here. Just up the ante like three or four. That's what this place is. Literally gives you a place where all that can happen. You as a storyteller have carte fucking blanche. Do you as a storyteller or as players want to want to rule the Sabbat, want to know how to be the upper echelons and get in and make decisions on how the Sabbat should operate? This is the book for you. Because you got to show that you can do it by, guess what, reigning in all the knuckleheads right. that are in and around Mexico to make your name to be noted, to be up in the consistory, right. to have a say. This is also that book. This is a place that is immensely overpopulated. It is incredibly dangerous. It is crime-ridden. It is... It it is potentially f- home to five hundred vampires. You can do whatever you want here, and this is why they made this book and they state it. This is the book for you. They presented something that is crazy in a realistic and believable sort of way, but they tell you th- this is whatever you want to run. You have free license to do it here. You know, and and also, this is one of those situations where you can play the neonate. You can play the the guy the guy just shovel headed last night. You can play the the you know the Ellie Melick twice damned type of character. <laughs> right, the Methuselah's Methuselah. Right. Any any of that stuff, it's it's here. It's free for you to do. And there's also a bunch of secrets of the Sabbat. Right. The main theme that I took away from this book is that there are a bunch of secrets that are just waiting to be revealed to make the Sabbat fall in on itself. You know, we have uh, the regent. We, we know about that and, and, and what happened there. That region's gone. And nobody knows that that region's gone. And as soon as that secret's revealed, kaput. Fourth Civil War. They, they start, and we're talking Melinda Gilbraith here. Right. Um, she's killed, yeah. and there's an imposter, right, that's in her place. How long can that imposter maintain power? Right. Right. And how do your players handle it? How do you, the storyteller, right. deal with that? And who killed her? Right. And then, Fourth Crusade. It's guaranteed when she falls, someone's going to yeah. move for the position. Yeah. And so, what does that mean for the sect as a whole? You get to tell that story. My one of my favorite parts about this book, and why we even got into history. I beg Nate to get into history. Just want you to know that <laughs> to get into it, so, because you need to see this vision. Imagine running a game where there are people from as Az- Az- the Aztec era. You're from that era, and you damn well know the terrors that went on there. Then you go into Torpor, and you wake up in now modern, right? But the storyteller tells you, you made characters in that era. We ran a week or two in that era to give you an idea, and even why you went into Torpor. But now you wake up in the modern era. Uh-huh. Th- these aren't your people. Right. This is vastly different. And who knows where you wake up and how, 
but knowing that history and what goes on, it's great. But they get up just in time to know they are part of the Sabbat now, right? Someone speaks a language enough to bring you in, mm-hmm. right? And they, they call you the honored elders or whatever it is, and you're brought in. And I love this idea because you could run this story where Melinda dies that night. Right. And they're here in the middle of a revolution and turmoil that they just fell asleep. Same type of stuff was going on. They wake up and see it again. Right. What was the point of torpor? It's a profound and deep element that you can throw in this book that they're just basically laying it on your nose. Right. As available to you. What was going on then? Well, I'll tell you this much. There was a Lissambre powerful enough to block out the sun. And he did it to wage war on the other Lissambre there because he didn't want him there. Right. Don't know why that was. Doesn't really say why it was. I got profound ideas as to why right. this occurred. And, and, and to me, that's what this is, right? This book is designed to lay, lay seeds. And, and I mean, that's redundant. We say that in every fucking podcast, but it's true, right? It's This is the place where you can explore all of those different avenues. Absolutely. These stories are told, right? We're reviewing books that have been out for years and years and years, but white wolf told them right white wolf told them but they gave you this book and said tell your own jack open this book up and find where that story is going to go and this is the perfect place to do it this is like the the optimal sabat city right no one is doing anything wrong playing sabat in mexico city however you want to do it (laughs) is the way that because it's it's everything it's politics it's it's grindhouse it's it's there's a there's a coven an established pack in here whose job it is is to clean up the bullshit that happens in Mexico City. Because you're going to need that. Could you imagine being a member of that pack? <laughs> right. How much would that suck? How thankless of a job would How that much, be? I'll tell you, they give a blurb. <laughs> there's there's two blurbs that my favorite in this book. Right, One is the guy goes, you ever go to a bullfight and give a bull a little blood and watch what happens? Oh, it's the greatest bullfight I did it at. Gorged a guy's arm off in one shot and then jumped in the audience and disemboweled six people before he put it down. Ah, what a good time. Right. The book is full of that elevator party. That's that's another good one. Like, like these are all, these are all ideas. Like the only thing that would be a challenge for you as a storyteller, and I actually think it would be a fun time, would uh, running Camarilla out of this city. Again, I say it would be a challenge, not for me as a storyteller, for you as a player, it would be a challenge, right? but it would be great. So I, I think in the sense that New York, you can tell any kind of story because you have the ability for youthful characters, younger characters to get into a position of power politically. Here you have the political aspects of the Sabbat where you wouldn't have that in any other city. And you have the ability of the sort of like nearly open interpack warfare that happens in Mexico City, right? That's the thing to take away from here. These packs, these covens, they're they're a spark away from exploding into all-out war. They're they're essentially what we experience in LA by night, but they're all sabat. And I, and I want you to think of it like if you're like, "Well, why is that? Aren't they all sabat that's it?" No, Jack. Sabat's political affiliation, we know we're we're united under that. Mm-hmm. And a type of truce, we've agreed to it. Right. But if I was embraced during the uh, the era of Porf- Porfirio Diaz, and I believed in him, and there was a revolution that you did on your side <laughs> right. of the fence, but we both got embraced from that, you were not my friend. Right. We cannot be friends. Right. And but- how how hard is it? Anybody that's played in a Sabat game knows it's hard to keep track of 20 Sabat members and keep them from tearing each other's heads off yes. because of a slight or a hard look. Now imagine that with 500. 
<laughs> That's ridiculous. That's impossible. We're talking a city where the bishop goes, what peck died? That's okay. I never even heard of them. Right. <laughs> well. Well, clearly they weren't established. They haven't been around since the 1800s. Right. Went. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Um, um, I don't know. I don't know how much more you want to get into the details of this, but it's also it's laid out to give you an idea of the established covens and the characters, but it, it's not separated by clan like a lot of the books are. So it's very unique in that regard. But I think that for anybody who wants to run a Sabbat game and wants the option to run any kind of Sabbat game, this is the book for you way more than Montreal. Montreal is a great book for the atmosphere. It's a great book for the feelings that it imparts, the looming danger that hides under the surface. But Mexico City is like, ba-boom. Montreal by night is the heart of the Sabbat. Right. Montreal is the heart of Sabbat. That is what has always been stated. That is the city where it is, it's definitely more together and easily defended. Mm -hmm. And that's why the important things spiritually are there. When you get to just what the Sabbat is about, Sabbat politics, Sabbat power, Sabbat infrastructure, how business gets done from there, that's definitely Mexico City. You cannot take that away. Right. It's it's throughout the book. Right. So anyways, I feel like this is a must own for any storyteller looking to run a Sabbat campaign, looking to run a Sabbat story, um, looking to, you know what, Bob? I want to run an Archon game. All right, cool. Well, you know, here's a bunch of Archons. Yeah, you pissed off some people and the Justicars have decided to send you to Mexico. You know, you it's time said for that. you to do some infiltrating. You know, you said that. I'm certainly not the favorite Archon. <laughs> I get sent there. What an asshole Justicar, but all right. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and but that's the type of game that you can play. You can run the fucked up suicide mission. You can run just the nightly goings on of Sabat living in the in one of the largest cities in the world. What if so, you're the poor bastard who just has to deliver a message? Right. Right. Between sex, that happens. Right. That sucks. Don't yeah. get caught. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, um, definitely this is a book worth getting into. And as much as we've talked about it, there is so much more in this book. There's so much more laid out and so many different dynamic ideas um, for you. And, you know, I don't want to keep repeating myself. I think this is a must-have book. It is a must-have book. And it's a must-have book for everything you said. And that way we don't repeat ourselves. Right. <laughs> but it is, it is a fantastic book. Next week we have uh, the... No, next week is the Lissambra by night. And it's interesting that you mentioned Cairo. The discerning listener may realize, hey, Mexico City doesn't come out for a while. This should be Cairo by night, technically, right? Yeah, you're right. Um, you gave us away. I, um, I misremembered uh, some information. And last week I was like, yeah, next week, Mexico City by night. I just guess I was excited. So basically what we've done is we've flip-flopped them. Cairo by night, that'll be a little bit down further down the road. I, I like this better. But yeah, it's a fuck up on our part. Not a big deal. Um, but yeah, next week, La Sombra, finally, for those of you who have been waiting with deep anticipation and bated breath. And then the week after that, we will have a small break as uh, we will be transitioning uh, into different locations individually. Well, I will be. I'll be moving. So uh, no podcast. Spring break. Woo. <laughs> Spring break. Woo. Um, so yeah, uh, until next week, I am Nathan and I'm Bob and we'll talk to you later. 20 years have passed since a tragic fire at an illegal rave killed over a hundred people outside Austin, Texas, but 
Is that all that happened on the night in question? Experience the horror of Vampire the Masquerade like never before. Jackalope LARP and White Wolf present a blockbuster LARP horror event. The Night in Question, November 17th, 2018, Austin, Texas. Jackalope-LARP.com for tickets and information. Where will you be on the Night in Question?